Why don't you take out your notes? We're in part three of Your Life Counts. Your life does count. You're not an accident. Your life counts. And I want to begin with a very quick review. What is the peace plan that we're going to talk about? Well, it's very simply this. It's ordinary people empowered by God making a difference wherever they are. Now, in this church, I highly encourage people to take notes because otherwise, I don't know about you, it's like going in one ear and out of another. When I used to go to a math class, if I didn't write anything down by the end of the math class, I couldn't remember, well, I may have remembered a bit, but not much. And God's heart is that we will be doers of his word, not just hearers and listeners only. So quickly, I want to just highlight a few phrases. Ordinary people. This is not a plan for super saints and those who've made it in their Christianity or the super talented. It's for ordinary people like you and me. Secondly, empowered by who? God. God always gives you the power and the strength and the ability to do what he's called you to do. You can count on that. You're not there by yourself. He didn't say, and lo, I leave you now with a whole bunch of Bibles. Goodbye. I'll see you when you get there. He said, no, I am going and I'll send him to be with you. And I will never leave you even to the ends of time. So empowered by God, making a difference. Now, this is an important word, which some of you have missed most of your life. Making a difference together, not by yourself. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Remember, even the lone ranger had Tonto, right? Right. This is an ideal plan to work with your small group on. That's why God put you there. And you know what? You're taking notes so that one day you can teach this to somebody else. Desmond, do you know that? So pay attention. You have to teach this next. (laughs) If you had to teach this next week, let me tell you, your level of attention will go right through the roof. And I believe God wants to use, when we give you these notes, I spend a lot of time with those as as does Shina. We do that because we want you to take them and to use them and to build this base for when God moves you into different areas. You've already got a base to work from. Right. Then he says, wherever they are. So, And by the way, there are three dimensions to this plan. First of all, we have personal peace. That's personal ministry to the people in your life, your friends, your co-workers, your family, your neighbours. Yeah, those guys. Right around you, you've got five neighbours at least. Can you name them all by name for a start? Personal peace, those close to you. Secondly, local peace. It's your small group's ministry to the others in the area. Then thirdly, there's global peace, and that's our church's ministry and responsibility to the world in Jesus' name. Now, for those of you who weren't there, I'm going to very quickly look at the goal of the peace plan to attack the five giants, the greatest problems in the world. And we talked last week about the five giants. The first one was spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness. And this is the root cause of everything. It happened right in the the Garden of Eden. Spiritual emptiness, being cut off from God. Most people on this planet don't know that they are made for a purpose. That they're not just an accident of some random chemical explosion. In fact, if you follow that closely, you realize that more and more scientists are starting to think the improbability of all of that is actually laughable now. 
that you were made to last forever. Most people don't know that. And then secondly, egocentric leadership. That's a real problem. Because people are spiritually intimate, they're all, and they think it's just here and now. They take everything and grab everything they can for that here and now. And they'll shaft you if they can. But Jesus, who's our model, was a good shepherd who laid down his life for the people. Whereas self-centered, egocentric, narcissistic leaders, it's all about them and feathering their nest and, uh, and tough luck to the people. And they keep their people stuck in poverty. And poverty breeds uh, uh, often um, disease. And along with disease and poverty is illiteracy. That's what they do. And there's pandemic diseases. Do you realize that pop under, under the poverty, there's just under a billion people who live on less than $2 a day. That's a lot of people. Two bucks a day. That's reality. So our goal is to assist the poor there. And we'll talk about that later. And then pandemic diseases. This is a sick thing. Even my own son-in-law right now has malaria. Do you know that we, malaria is preventable and curable? And we've had the cure this for ages. The trouble is we've still got millions of people dying from something that's preventable and that's curable. Millions. Why, if we've got the answer, are they dying needlessly? And these are beautiful children and women and men. And then illiteracy. Again, just under a billion people in our world are still functionally illiterate. doesn't matter how much internet you've got. If you can't write and read, it's useless to you. So we want to talk about educating the next generation. Okay. Today, though, the reality is that's why these problems are so big. No government and no business has been able to fix these problems because they actually all start in the heart. But there is one group in the world so big that God in his mind that he wants to use this group to tackle some of these problems. God wants to use his church to be salt and to be light. To bring some light into the situation and bring some salt, which as many of you know, if you have eczema, salt's great. It's a great antiseptic to, to, to clear away the crud in this world. And as I said last week, the first reformation that came back with a man called Martin Luther was God used him to bring back the Bible, to give the Bible back to his people, to everyday people. Today, though, the second reformation is, is going on is where God is giving back not just beliefs in the Bible, but ministry back to his people where it belongs, his bride. To do what Jesus did in the flesh, he wants us to do in the same way. And people are rediscovering that God wants to use their lives to serve his purposes, not their own. That is a second reformation. So today I want to focus on the second global giant because we have a worldwide shortage of servant leaders. And that's why the world is in so much more chaos. Actually, in Judges 21, there's a point in the Bible where the Bible says that Israel had no leader. No leader. And as a, as a, as a consequence of that, the Bible says here, because there was no leader in Israel, everyone did 
which was right in their own eyes. There's another name for that, anarchy. Chaos. And I want you to read aloud with me this, this verse on your outline from Proverbs 11:14. Let's read it aloud with enthusiasm. Let's read it. Without wise leadership, a nation... That's true in every area of your life and mine. Without wise leadership, your family is in trouble. Without wise leadership, your business is in serious doo-doo. Without wise leadership, your school is in trouble. Your church is in trouble. Without wise leadership, the community is in trouble. And the nation is in trouble. And without wise leadership, the Bible says people just drift through life. In fact, the, the Bible says this in Zechariah 10. The people wander about like lost sheep. They are in trouble because they have no leader. And the effect is no leader who cares for them. That's what it's getting at. And we can see this in every segment of our world. There are three main problems in leadership in our world. The first one is this. We have a horrible tendency to confuse celebrities with leaders. Horrible tendency. Do you know the difference? Celebrities typically live self-centered, narcissistic, selfish lives, shallow lives, and it's normally all for them and their comfort and their thrills. And they typically just live for their happiness. Life is a happiness quest. It's all about happiness. However, leaders, contrasted to that, do something. Do something for somebody else. And they use their lives to serve others. That's what true leaders do. And I'm going to show you that from the life of Jesus shortly. The second problem with with leadership today is we are really suffering an enormous shortage of good leadership. See, you lead, people lead, but some people lead and some people mislead. They mislead. Hitler was a misleader. He was a leader, but he was leading in the wrong direction. And thirdly, we have a wrong kind of leader, these kind of wrong leaders in many areas of our lives. In business, oh boy, you see some of those. In government, we see misleaders there. In sports, entertainment, especially in education. And a lot of these people end up being dictators. You may have come across some of those in your work. So what is leadership? Leadership is not a position. It's not a title, and it's certainly not charisma. If you're confused about that, go read a book by Jim Collins. He's written many books on why charisma is not equivalent to leadership. So what is leadership? As tight as I can get this in one word, leadership is influence. For good or for bad, leadership is influence. Now by that definition, you are a leader. And you may say, well, I don't have any influence. Can I humbly suggest you're wrong there? You influence your family. Or your relatives, you influence your friends, your co-workers. You influence your small group. You influence in your church, or your ministry team, or people in your soccer team, or your squash team. Anybody that you have contact with, other salespeople, waitresses, gardeners, bankers, whatever, 
contractors. Every time you send an email, you make a phone call, or you vote for a politician, or you pass on some gossip that's going around the office and go, I heard it, but I'm not even getting involved in that. You're leading when you do that, one way or the other. You are influencing. Now, the real question is, what kind of influence are you? For good or for bad? Are you an intentional leader? Or you are, are you an unintentional leader? Are you helping move people towards good? Or helping them move for bad? In other words, are you using your influence for Christ? Now, Jesus said this. The essence of leadership is not lording it over people. You do what I say. It's not demanding things. It is not having a big crowd. But Jesus said leadership is intrinsically and eternally tied to serving. Luke 22 verse 26. The one who serves you best will be your leader. And that's from the boss. So in God's economy, the more you serve others, the more influence you have. Think about that short little Albanian nobody whose name was Mother Teresa. Short Albanian nun who worked in the worst part, stinkiest part of Calcutta you could even conceive with The hobnobs? No. With those too poor to have two brass razus to rub together who were nearly all of them dying. The poorest of the poor. Yet, leaders from all around the world would stop and listen when she spoke. You see, the more she served, the more influential she became. And Jesus said, that shouldn't surprise us, if you want to be great... In my kingdom, you have to be a servant of all. Now, Jesus didn't just teach that. He modeled it, showed us how. I love Jesus so much for so many things. But one thing that really I get is he's very practical. He models things. Matthew 20, 28. Even I... The Son of Man came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life. As if serving others isn't enough. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Listen, if you are following Jesus, he wants you to be leading other people, to influence them. Then they will be heading in the right direction too. That's why in our Friday prayer group, we've been praying for you. That God would make you a better leader. That he would increase your influence. Because I'd rather have people following you rather than some egotistical celebrity. At least you're putting in the effort. You're you're trying. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we are trying to make our lives count for good. And that's my challenge to you today. Will you accept God's call for you to lead other people? Because that's what he's called you to, as we're going to see shortly. Will you accept God's call to lead others in the right direction? To be that salt, that light that shows them, points them, 
to the source of all light. And we're going to need, God is going to need new leaders in the church to carry off his plan. So how can you become a leader that helps others become leaders? How can you influence your friends and your family, your neighbors and your co-workers for good and for God? In other words, how do you become a servant leader? Well, again, Jesus showed us he's our only perfect leader. And he showed us, and I want to observe five marks from his life. The first one's this. um, Servant leaders set an example. Leading starts with living. Those who live right, lead right. You can't lead without living right. Otherwise, you're going to lead people in the wrong way. To lead others, you must start with self-leadership, with yourself. Do you follow the one who's called you? Because you can only help others get as far as you've already gone yourself. And Jesus modeled what he wants us to do. John 13, 15 says it right there. I have given you an example to follow. That's good. I can take that. Men love that. Give me a roadmap and I'll go. Here it is. I've given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done to you. A couple of questions. How many people do you have to influence to be a leader? Mm, very good. Ten points to the front row. If I had a candy bar, you'd be getting it right now. One. All of us can do that. Now, second question is, who does God want us to be an example to? Hmm. That's an, included in the answer. Let's take the first one. One. First, per, uh, first group of people. He wants us to be example to believers. Here it is here. First Timothy 4.12. And in five specific areas, very clear. Set an example, that's every one of you, and me. For who? The believers. The believers, first group. How? Five areas. One, in your speech. When you get pressured, do you let fly? How are you living with your speech? Lead in the way you speak. Lead when you're poked. How do you react with your speech? No cuss words. What do we say here? Swear words. No swear words, yeah? No swear words. No projectile of negativity. Set an example for believers in speech, in life, the way you do life. We're going to talk about that later. In love. An example of faith. There's four. And number five, impurity. That means moral Cleanness. It means not clicking that stupid ad on the internet that got pushed to you. It means making sure that you use something like open DNS to filter half of that garbage out. In fact, more than half of it. If you need some more information on that, write open DNS on your communication card and I'll happily send that to you. But you need it. Parents, if you haven't got it, you need to get it this afternoon and it's free. Mitsubishi Chemical use it and other things. It filters rubbish out. Immoral cleanness. That's how you lead your household in that area. So you need to set an example and lead and set the pattern for others to follow. Two, you lead, and somebody said everybody else here, everybody else. That's found in 1 Peter 2.12. The other group, so you've got believers and those who don't believe. This is the second group. People who do not believe are living all around you. Remember those guys you're going to meet tomorrow morning? And this afternoon? When you get a pack and save? 
What does it say? Remember, okay, people who do not believe are living all around you. Therefore, live such good lives that they will see. You're an audio-visual Christian. The good things that you do, and you will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. So how can I be an example? And in your small groups this week, I have a message application guide which you can discuss how we can do this as a group. But I just wrote down a few ideas. I started to think about it um, this week. How can I be an example this week? Well, maybe at home. It intrigues me sometimes. When, have you ever gone to a party or something like that? I was at one yesterday. And there's about 40 people there. And I noticed when the announcement for the food came up, certain people took like they had Jet Pat Jim on there. They were first to that table like, you know, they hadn't had a meal for 40 days. I can't notice that. So maybe sometimes let others get their food first. Very practical. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Here's an ultimate one for men. Give up control of the remote control on the TV. <laughs> ultimate sacrifice for a man. Um, here's a personal beef of mine, and I need to improve on this. When the phone goes, don't just ignore it. <laughs> Jump up and get it and not make, uh, let your wife, because she won't take that irritation after a while. She'll go and rescue it. Hold it. Ah, let it ring. That's what answer phones are for. Here's another one. Depends upon the stage of your family. Turn off the TV and pray with your kids. Maybe ask your family, and this is a deep one. If you really want to grow on this one, this is a really toughie. I remember I did this, it was a little while ago. I should perhaps do it again now, my kids are grown. Sit down and ask them this. What would you like me to work on without being defensive? Do I see any pens moving? <laughs> Write that down, hint. You want to grow. How about at work? Find somebody that's doing something right for a change and praise them about it. It's hard. It's like your kids. You've got to catch them in the act of doing something good because otherwise we're often on the negative side, right? Another way you can lead in the office, refuse to join in the gossip. Big point. And from time to time, you don't have to be weird about that, but from time to time you'll find some people in your office are brokenhearted about something. You can tell they're coming, you know. It's written all over their countenance. At the right time, if you've built up that relationship and you've discussed and they've divulged it, why not ask, would you mind if I prayed for you? I have never, in all of my time in IT and finance, ever had one person refuse at the right time. Uh, here's a real practical one for this week. When you go to Pack and Save Next or wherever you shop, do not put more than 12 items in your bag and try and get through the express line. <laughs> mm -hmm. Who were thinking of there? The other people or just me? Servant leaders. Think of others. Some examples at church. Here's a good one. Make sure your cell phone's turned off. <laughs> That's been a servant thinking about other people. Fill out a welcome card each week as an example to visitors. Because when all the other visitors see you put it in there, they go, oh, that's normal to you, better put it in. That's being a servant. 
If you see some trash, pick it up. Help stack the chairs at the end, whatever that may be, or join the team. This is just servant leadership in practical ways to set an example. Second thing real leaders do is they set an example and servant leaders show us how. Show us how. They don't just tell you what to do, but they show you how to do it. This is how Jesus led in Matthew 4, 19. Jesus said this, Come along with me, and I, this is, I love this, will show you how to fish for the souls of men. I was talking to somebody not long ago, and they said to me, you know what I love about this church? Is it's how-to. Very practical. But that's intentional. Because for many years in my life, I grew up in church and I thought, wow, that's a good idea. But how do I do it? Give me a roadmap. Show me how to do this. There's a second part. Once you know how, God expects you to pass it on. So once you have a certain ability and skill, he wants you to pass it on. Look at this one here, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Pass on what you heard from me. This is Paul speak. Okay. To reliable leaders who are competent to teach others. There's actually four levels there. Four levels if you look at that verse. How it should be passed on like a baton. So let's get practical. How can you grow in this aspect of servant leadership in each of these three dimensions of the peace plan? First, in your personal peace plan, why don't you make a list of what you are good at? You, what you are good at, which will be different to your husband or your neighbor, and what you like to do. Maybe it's, well, I know and I enjoy balancing the budget. I just love doing that. I know some people in this church that could do it with their eyes closed and love it. That's what they it motivates them. Some people are really good at closing deals. That's what they're really good at. Some people are really good at cooking veal, scallopini, and, and on and on. Some are good at crocheting. Some are good at diagnosing a PC. Then you ask, what do I know how to do and who would like to know what I know? Who would like to know what I know? then you can share that with them. That's a very practical way of help. You wouldn't believe the number of people I've been able to help, even my neighbours, with my pastoring PCs ministry. <laughs> I've got about 40 different people I can log into from my PC and help fix their computers. But it gives me an entree because I build credibility that way and it gives me authority to speak into their lives. If you can fix this, maybe you know something about this. How about in your small group? Local peace plan. Well, why don't you consider doing a local peace project? I'm glad to see that. The crew down this area are, are, are on the stick. They've got a, a local peace project, um, small group base down there. There's lots of other ones, and if you want some ideas, put on the back of your communication card as a small group, local peace project. There's assisted living ministry and church services that can happen there. There's a ministry to those incarcerated. Do you know that we have people that go to prison? Ministry every week in our church. And mentor, some of them mentor some of the children of the dads who are in prison for a long time. Because you imagine dads in prison? Some of those guys need some mentoring those children. There's food bank areas, soup kitchens, there's all sorts. Or you could just design your own based on the needs that your group sees. I mean, how can you show your servant leadership as part of a global peace plan? Well, here's something shocking for you. Of the 2.1, roughly 2.1 million pastors around the globe... 90% of those have had no formal training. This is in the third world, should I say. In the third world. No training at all. In fact, most of you are more qualified than their pastors. 
You imagine, all of a sudden, you're the pastor of that church. In the past 10 years, people in this church have helped this church minister to over 400 other churches. Here locally, Australia, Papua New Guinea, and India. And a good portion of that training has been facilitated by members of New Hope. And we teach purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life. And sometimes if it's in a language that we don't, uh, we don't speak easily, like in India, we've been able to use videos which teach that, and, we help to, and they use teaching notes. Now, some of you in this room are shaped to train and teach, and you don't even know it. I want to suggest to you there's an opening there. Especially in this year. I've just been up with 100 other leaders up in, uh, up in Southern California. And they want us to train another 100 churches. Another 100 churches. Now of those, another 10 of those that will train other churches. So we can get this job done. Because the Bible says, take the gospel into all of the world. Preach the gospel into all of the world. And then the end will come. There's places that still haven't heard. Thirdly. Servant leaders speak the truth. And again, Jesus is our model. In, actually, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. Now, it's pretty easy if you stick it in your computer. Jesus said this 78 times. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Leaders, not mis- misleaders, don't tell you the truth. Leaders tell you the truth. And he is personified, truth personified. He says, I am the truth. In Proverbs 20, 28, the Bible says this, love and truth, both are important. Love and truth form a good leader. Sound leadership is founded on loving integrity. Now the fact is, here's a, here's a shocker, are you ready? Most people in your life will not tell you the truth. Why? Because they are too afraid of what you might think of them if you told them the truth. So instead of telling the truth up to you, they will gossip about you. And you do too. So you see something wrong in somebody's life, maybe at work, and maybe something that you work with, and instead of going to that person and talking to them about it, it's very, very easy to talk to somebody else about that person and their shortcomings. doesn't take too long ago. You young people remember in high school. Remember how that happens? Boy, evidently that gossip thing's been going for thousands of years because in Jeremiah 29 verse 5, it says, Friends deceive friends, and no one speaks the truth. Because they want to be politically correct. Now question. Who do you need to speak the truth to? This is what I mean by this. Be clear. You see them going in the wrong direction. And they're about to make a major mistake. Maybe you see them messing their lives up. And you've said nothing. And the reason why you've said nothing is you've thought this lie. It's none of my business. Yes, it is. If you care for them, it is your business. It is unloving not to say something. To let somebody you love go straight down the road to wherever. There's multiple destinations down that road. But that's going to destroy them. What kind of friend of you, if you say it's none of my business? 
It is your business if you care. If you don't care, I agree, it's not. But Jesus said we're supposed to love our neighbour. Edmund Burke, his famous quote, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to stand by and do... Don't fall into that. Don't buy that Kool-Aid arsenic. It's the wrong thing. Sometimes God will actually inject you into the middle of a problem, smack in the middle of it, because he wants you to speak up and say, whoa, that's wrong. Here's a good example of that in the Bible. Hint. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the word God. Queen Esther. Queen Esther. The book of Esther doesn't mention God at all. Her people were being destroyed. And they came to Esther and said, You can't be silent anymore and allow your own people to suffer. You were born for such a time as this. To stand up and call it. Now leaders speak the truth. But there is a qualifier. Please Do not miss this. This is critically important. The qualifier is this in Ephesians 4.15. You need to speak the truth. What's the next part of this? In love. Here it is. By speaking the truth, Ephesians 4.15, in a spirit of love. Circle that. Not to try and harass, hassle, to downgrade, not to shame, not to condemn but in the spirit of love, we must grow up. See, it's very easy to just unload. Anybody can do that. Look at the kid, doesn't get what they want. <laughs> completely, completely uncontrollable, expressing their emotion, unbridled. A mature person expresses their concern, truth, in love, controlled, so that they grow up in Christ in every way. Now, you know this? You can make people's day at work in the simplest of ways. Sometimes by just a kind word, a pat on the back, a note or a smile. The Bible says this, a great verse, a life verse of mine, Proverbs twelve fifty five: A word of encouragement does wonders. You can go a long way in a word of encouragement. So servant leaders set the example. They show us how. They speak the truth in love, but they do it in love. And servant leaders stretch our faith. Jesus constantly stretched people's faith to the point it was, ow, that hurts. Yeah? Why? Because we only grow when we are challenged. And everybody in this room needs a challenge. You do, your kids do, Nana and Grandpa do too. Because without challenge, we become lethargic and apathetic and bored and weaklings. You don't challenge your muscles or atrophy. We all need something greater than ourselves to pull us out of our self-centeredness and challenges us to do something great with our lives. Now right now, think of somebody you'd like to help grow. Now, three examples I want you to apply this to, to, their, to, to those people you're thinking of. Three examples from Jesus' life. You help people grow in their faith by, firstly, you may want to write this out the side because I didn't put it in for you. You guys have got pens. By encouraging them to face their fear. People grow when they face their fears and don't run from their fears. Maybe it's a child you have, or a grandchild even. 
or a husband or a spouse. Maybe it's a wife who had these fears that just imprison her. Or a friend or neighbor, whatever. Jesus here, example, is at a public meeting. Now he sees a guy with a withered hand. Now if you get a withered hand, you kind of like don't just throw it up everywhere. You kind of keep it hidden. It's often down under a long cloak. But he kind of spots it. This withered hand. And the man had probably hidden that in shame, not because it was glorious. This withered hand all of his life. Now, in a public meeting, in a public meeting, Jesus calls it out. The thing he's ashamed of. And he's hidden. Matthew twelve thirteen. Jesus said to the man, You, stretch out your hand. So he pulls it out, not very pretty, puts it out there, and as he stretches it out, it was completely restored. Have you ever felt stretched by Jesus? Something that you didn't, you felt embarrassed or strained by? Imagine this guy's fears. Will I be embarrassed? What's going to happen? Will I be disappointed? It's going to feel foolish if I put it out there and nothing happens. So Jesus says, stretch it out in faith what you've been hiding. And maybe God's given you many talents that you've been hiding. And today he's saying to you, stretch it out. Don't hide it. Don't disguise it. I want to restore it to its original function. The principle is here. When God wants to do the miraculous in your life, first you're going to be stretched. And that will almost guaranteed feel uncomfortable. But it's how your faith will grow. If you're a true friend of the people in your life, you will challenge them to face their fears. Here's a key example of that. Do you want your marriage to be completely restored? So you think you've got it hidden, and there's some ugly parts to it too. But God knows exactly what goes on behind closed doors. If you do, can I suggest to you, he'll probably stretch you first. Probably in some counselling sessions that are quite painful. And you may have to face some facts that you, about your life and about your weaknesses and about your fears and about your doubts. And that can be challenging, to say the least. But once you get through the fear, there's freedom on the other side. And freedom comes through facing your fears. The second way to help you stretch people's faith is by challenging them to do what seems impossible. Yeah, impossible. Remember the illustration of feeding the 5,000? Huge crowd all day, long teaching session. And then, then Jesus goes to Philip. He says, oi, you feed them. He goes, holy smokes, quick calculation. That's months of wages to feed all these guys. Where are we going to get that money? And by the way, the shops are all closed. At that time of day. I guess you'd feel a little bit stretched if Jesus put something so ridiculously impossible in front of you. The Bible says here in John 6, when Jesus looked out and he saw a large crowd and he said to, the, uh, said to Philip, where can you buy bread to feed these people? And he said this, I love this, to stretch Philip's faith. Your faith will not stretch if there's no impossibility in your life because he already knew what he was going to do. He's saying, Lord, you are asking for the impossible here. I've got mortgages, I've got kids, I've got this. How do you expect me to do this? Now, some of you may be feeling that way about getting on with your part in his mission for the world. 
Part of my role as your pastor is to help you become what you think you could never be, but God planned for you all along. Third, to help you grow others in faith, help them think bigger. If you're going to think, you might as well think big. <laughs> I've done as Jesus did. Dreams don't cost a cent. A guy came up to Jesus and asked if he could heal his child one day in desperation. And Jesus said, quite interestingly, what do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked, anything is, anything is possible if a person believes. For example, I know God's plan for the world seems a little overwhelming to some even here today. But the fact is, everybody around you hungers for a higher purpose that will outlast a cause and a purpose and a vision that stretches our abilities. Because there's nothing more significant than the kingdom of God. Nothing will outlast it. Your company won't. This country won't. The kingdom of God will go on for eternity. The issue is, will you accept that challenge? Will you say, God, I want to, you to stretch my faith. And if you say, do it, I'll do it. That's a good place to come to. One last characteristic of being a servant leader. Five. Servant leaders sacrifice their own comfort to get the job done. Look at what we sung about that first song up this morning. What Jesus left to come here. He gave up his... Heaven's kind of comfortable. Down here it was kind of a rough ride. He led the way. Jesus is the most influential person in history. Because why? He sacrificed the most. So let me say it in a sentence. Leadership always has a price tag. It costs you. There's no such thing as leadership that doesn't cost. Titus 2.14 Jesus gave himself for us so that he may pay the price to free us from all evil. Let me say in another sentence. You cannot lead without sacrificing. But it's an oxymoron. You can't say, God, I want to do what you want me to do with all my life. And I want to be what you made me to be. And I want to fulfill my, uh, your purposes. I, oh, and, and by the way, I've got my own personal agenda over here. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom of God. But servant leaders sacrifice their agenda for the kingdom. And they say, God, I'm going to give up my plans. God challenged me to do that right when I was a young teenager. And continues to challenge me to do that along the line at different stages. And he'll do the same to you. In order to be what you made me to be, to do what you made me to do. And to be used the way you want me to be used. Now God is watching, this is interesting, to see if you, you will use your life as a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Hebrews 13, 16. Don't forget to do good and to help one another. These are the sacrifices that please God. What are they? Do good and help one another. That's what he's saying. Here's the good news. Whatever you sacrifice will be repaid exponentially. Whatever you give up to do God's agenda here on earth, you will be rewarded exponentially in heaven and enjoy it forever, uh, forever and ever. So where do you want to enjoy it? Here for uh, maybe 80 years? Or where you've got 80 trillion years and more? Very powerful verse. One that rocks me every time I read this. Matthew 19, 29. 
Everyone who has left houses, all brothers or sisters, or father or mother or children, all lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And, that, and not only will you have a huge reward there, and you get that considerable bonus. I can I consider that a considerable bonus, eternal life. And then, I haven't put that in your outline, but it's up here on the screen. The verse that follows on for that was one of the verses that helped jerk me out of my corporate career. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Like the rich young ruler, who appeared to have everything down here, he was first. They will discover one day that they have lost everything. And they will be last. Folks, there's a desperate shortage of godly leaders in this world. Are you going to live for the here and now, or are you going to live for eternity? In the light of eternity. God is calling you to be a servant leader, which will involve sacrifice. But remember the reward. He's called you to be a person of influence, and if you're going to follow him, he wants you follow others following you. He doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a crowd. It can be just one person, but he expects you to be a leader. And God is calling you to do this. Will he commit to his call? Will he commit to his call here in Ephesians 4.1? Lead. Now there is that word again. Lead. Leadership. Lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by your managing director. No. God. I'd like you to all now stand with me as I'm going to pray for you a blessing. God wants his members in his body on mission in his world. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you so much. For our church family, and I pray that you will raise up great leaders in your sight out of this church. I pray specifically that you will bless these people standing right now. That you will transform them into great and godly leaders. Lord, and I ask you that you would increase their influence for your glory in this world. I pray that this very week they will have a clearer understanding of who you have made them to be who they are living for, and what's most important in this life, and what you want to accomplish through the gifts you have given them. Father, may they hear your voice in their minds and hearts, and may they see the incredible potential that you have got for them through their groups. May you use them this week for your glory as your spirit helps them become the leader you intended them for them to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and everybody said, Amen. Thank you.